Welcome. You are listening to Central Synagogue's podcast, featuring sermons, lectures, and conversations from Manhattan's historic Central Synagogue. I'm Rabbi Angela Bookdahl. Each week, we invite you to listen to messages of strength and hope given by our clergy on Shabbat or Jewish holidays. You can also listen to audio recordings of other programs and lectures given at Central by subscribing to this podcast on the platform of your choice. If you'd like to watch our live stream services or learn more about our congregation, I invite you to visit us at centralsynagogue.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. And raise me up to a world living, oh, safe from the storm, in the shelter of your shadow. The Hebrew I just sang means, and he hesitated. The Hebrew, though, is not what's notable. What's notable is that chant you just heard. It's a cantillation or trope mark that occurs only four times in the entire Torah, only seven times in the entire Tanakh, in our entire Bible. It's called Shalshelet, and this uncommon, arpeggiated chant is meant to convey a moment of wrestling. So what's the context in this week's Parsha? As we've heard, angels in disguise have come to the doomed city of Sodom. They're on a mission from God. They're to find Abraham's cousin or nephew, Lot, tell him and his family that they must flee in order to avoid the devastation and destruction that God is about to rain down on the city. Lot hears this warning. He knows that cataclysm is coming. And he hesitated. Why? Why would Lot hesitate? If credible angels appeared to you and said, this whole city is about to be rubble, but you and your family will be saved if you leave right now, I think that would light a fire under most of us. The Torah doesn't tell us why Lot hesitates, only that he does. And our ancestors placed the rarest cantillation mark on the word as if to say, notice me, ask about me, interpret me. And that's exactly what we've done. There are thousands of years of commentary all about Lot's hesitation. The medieval sages Rashi and Radak suggest that the reason Lot hesitates is because he's trying to save his property Saving his family isn't enough. He wants to save what he treasures most, his wealth. He hesitates, they tell us, trying to discern a way to retain his riches. Rashi and Radak do not paint a pretty picture of Lot's character. Ibn Ezra doesn't either, though he has a different take. Why does Lot hesitate, he asked because Lot was overcome with terror. 
his cowardice took hold and paralyzed him. Hundreds of years later, Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch gives a more charitable read of the moment. Hirsch reminds us some of Lot's family are going to remain behind. They have refused to flee children and grandchildren. Hirsch asks, who wouldn't hesitate before abandoning family to certain death? And then Rabbi Chaim of Chernovich gives one of the most charitable interpretations of Lot's hesitation. He suggests that when Lot learns that God wishes to spare him, he hesitates, hoping that God won't destroy the city so long as he stays. And so he remains as long as he can, hoping that he can buy his neighbors just a little bit more time to repent. Which of these rabbis is right? We don't know. All the interpretations are possible. They're all plausible based on what we read in the text. So all we can do is guess. But this isn't just an academic exercise. It's not just interesting to think about the possibilities. Because as we walk through life, how often do we really know why people do what they do? All too often, we're like these esteemed rabbis, guessing at someone's motivation. That person who bumped into me on the street, were they in a hurry or did they intentionally knock me around? Are you not answering my text because you're busy or you're ignoring me? Did the email read, this was really helpful, or this was really helpful. <laughs> so much of the time, we just don't know. And yet, we must make a judgment in order to know how to react. So what are we to do? In business, Jews are commanded to have honest scales. But we are not commanded to do that in our relationships. In our relationships, we're supposed to put our thumb on the meritorious side of the scale. We're taught in the Mishnah to judge those around us by tipping those scales of judgment towards virtue. In a phrase, we're meant to give each other the benefit of the doubt. In light of that teaching, Shouldn't Rashi, Radak, Ibn Ezra do a bit better as they assess Lot? Couldn't they look for a more sympathetic read of his hesitation? And shouldn't they? Life isn't that simple, and Judaism isn't that naive. If we all walked around giving each other the benefit of the doubt always, we know that, unfortunately, there would be people who take advantage. Yes, we should judge one another favorably. We should assume good intent. But it's easier to ascribe goodness to someone when that is what we've come to expect from them. Judaism also asks of us that we live in such a way that people are inclined to judge us favorably because the pattern of our behavior suggests it. 
One shouldn't live their lives relying on their neighbor's charitable judgment. We should live in such a way as to make it as easy as possible for others to give us the benefit of the doubts. And Lot, Lot has not exactly done that. He has not left behind him a trail of good deeds that would lead us to assume his hesitation is noble. Lot, Lot couldn't find a way to live peaceably with his cousin. Lot chose to take the choicest land for himself. Lot couldn't muster up a thank you when Abraham redeems him from captivity. Lot offers up his daughters to the mob. Is it wise to give Lot the benefit of the doubts now? As much as I would like to view Lot with the same optimism and charity as Rabbi Chaim of Chernovich, Lot has made it hard. By this moment of Torah, we've grown accustomed to him making selfish, greedy, permissive, egocentric, and close-hearted actions. And Lot hesitated. We'll never know exactly why. Each of us can come to our own assessment. And in so many other moments in life, it will be the same. We will witness or learn of an action, and we will need to choose how to judge it and how to respond. Can we strive in those moments to ascribe good intentions? And can we consistently do what is fair and decent and kind to the point where others assume the best of us so that when the day invariably arises when someone is in a position to judge our ambiguous deeds, we are deserving of the benefit of the doubt. The Shalshelet of Lot in this week's Parsha asks us to do both. And I'd always praise your name. Thank you for listening to this edition of Central Synagogue's podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you're in the loop on future episodes. And please follow us on social media or watch our live stream at centralsynagogue.org, our Facebook page, or on national cable at the Jewish Broadcasting Service. Thanks again for joining us. Hello, hello,